Take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 9. Well, it's good to be in God's house, isn't it? I heard about an old boy who was having a lot of trouble losing weight. So he went to his pastor and said, Pastor, I need you to pray for me that I could lose some weight. He says, Son, you, you need me to help you lose weight? He said, Yes, sir. I've read books. I've joined clubs. I, I've done everything I know how to do, and I just can't lose any weight. Could you pray for me that I could lose some weight? He said, Now, son... If you're serious and you really want me to help you lose some weight, you'll do exactly what I tell you to do. You may lose the weight, and you may win the girl of your dreams in the process. Well, he lit up. He said, what have I got to do? He said, here, and he handed him a piece of paper with an address on it. He said, in the morning, 6 o'clock, knock on this door with your jogging suit and your jogging shoes on and do what you're told. Next morning, 6 o'clock, he knocked on that door, the most beautiful girl he'd ever seen opened the door. She said, the pastor said, if you could catch me, you could have me. <laughs> she took off. Well, he lit in after her. Every morning for six months, he knocked on that door. He was losing weight. He was getting in shape. He was getting faster, and he almost caught her. And he decided, tomorrow's my day. I've gotten fast enough and in shape enough. I can catch her tomorrow. She's going to be mine. He couldn't sleep all night. He was so excited. He got up early. He did his calisthenics. He stretched. He went over. He knocked on that door. Biggest, fattest, sweetest, ugly old girl he'd ever seen opened the door. She said, Pastor said, if I can catch you, I can have you. That's... <laughs> That's phase two of that weight loss program right there. Uh, I'm telling you that to tell you the message I preached this morning on the judgment seat of Christ, it has a part two on the great white throne judgment. And um, one of these days, if God leads Brother Jack and ask me to come back and God let me, I'll preach that sermon. But you need to hear it because lost people, are also going to be held accountable. And that's why we need to do what we can for Jesus so they won't stand before him at the great white throne judgment. Well, we used to use a term in Baptist life that we don't use much anymore. It used to be that when you got saved, you would tell people that Jesus is your personal Lord and Savior. I still like that term. He is my personal Lord and Savior. Now, there's a movement in Southern Baptist life called Calvinism. And there are some of those who purport to be Calvinist who purport that you can't have a personal Savior. Well, let me tell you something. Jesus Christ is my personal Lord and Savior because I did personal business with him. There's no other name under heaven by which man can be saved except the name of Jesus. Now, tonight, I want to take that thought and I want to go to John chapter 9 and I want to lift this man off this page and let him live before us so that we can see and experience the personal encounter he had 
with the Lord Jesus Christ and make application of that to our lives as we live them today. So let's look at the text in John chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. The Bible says, And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day, because the night cometh when no man can work. And as long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. And when he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay out of the spittle. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay, and he said unto him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam which is by interpretation sent. He went his way, therefore, and washed, and came seeing. The neighbors, therefore, and they which before had seen him, that he was blind, said, Is this not he that sat and begged? And some said, This is he. Others said, He's like him. But he said, I am he. Therefore said they unto him, How were thine eyes open? He answered and said, a man that is called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said unto me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And I went and washed, and I received sight. Everybody else's ordinary day was never this man's day. You see, his day was always different because his eyes did not work. He was born that way. The Bible says he was blind from birth. This man never was awakened by the sunlight. He had never seen the sun. As he journeyed the adult years of his life's map, there was much that this man had never seen. He could hear the birds, but he could not see them. He could smell the flowers, but he could not see them. Thousands of things that sighted people took for granted every day. This man could not see because he was different. And like most blind people, his other senses had kicked into a higher gear. He had learned to see with his hands. He could hear things normal people could not hear. And the hearing was his curse. From childhood on, he had heard them. You know who they were. Mischievous children, the religious crowd, the social leaders. All who were cruel and and uncaring and hurtful toward him, making unruly and nasty and ugly comments about him because he was different. He was blind. As he'd move through the community, they would whisper and remark, thinking he could not hear them, but he could hear. He always heard them. They would verbalize the common belief of that day that a man suffered because of sin either his own sin or his parents' sin. It was easy to judge this man. It was easy to condemn this man. It was easy to ridicule this man. All of his life, those sensitive ears had fed upon this poison and feasted upon this rudeness and ugliness, and it had taken its toll. He had accepted the fact that he was a social outcast. His self-esteem was non-existent. 
He had accepted the role of being the butt of their cruel and sensitive jokes. He could not imagine for the life of him what he had done or his parents could have done to cause him to suffer the way he had suffered. Oh, no. He never had an ordinary day. The good news was, though, that he was about to have an extraordinary day because an extraordinary man was about to pass that way. He was sitting there possibly contemplating what he could pull together for an evening meal when all of a sudden those sensitive ears heard another one of those judgmental discussions. His radar of awareness told him that a crowd had gathered and once again he was the reason why. So he perked up not knowing what was about to happen and then he heard it. He heard someone say, Master! Who did sin? This man or his parents that he was born blind. Oh, I, I don't think. I really don't think this man at that time heard that question. You see, I, I don't think he was too much concerned with the religious debate and argument over sin causing blindness. I think what this man heard in that particular moment in his life was one word. He heard that word, Master. Now think about it. At this point in the ministry of Jesus, his life, things had begun to already happen. He had established himself as one who could do God-sized things. Not too long before this story here in John chapter 9. Back in John chapter 2, we read about his first miracle where he walked into a wedding feast and they'd run out of wine and he took water and he turned it into wine. Nobody had ever done that before or since. A God-sized thing. And then you get to John chapter 3 and you read about a midnight encounter of Jesus and a man by the name of Nicodemus and Nicodemus wanted to know Lord, what must a man do to be born again? Can he enter into his mother's womb and be born a second time? And of course, you know how the discord went. Jesus said, no, you just believe in me. And then in verse 17, he said, God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And then we get to John chapter 4. Go with me to Sychar, a small town in Samaria. There's a well there, Jacob's well. Jesus is sitting by that well. He's hot, he's tired, he's thirsty. He's had a long journey. His disciples have gone off to see if they can find something to eat. And Jesus is sitting there and a Samaritan woman approaches and he asks her for a drink of water. And she said, Lord, you can't ask that of me. I'm a Samaritan, you're a Jew. I, I can't, you can't ask that of me. And Jesus began to have a discourse with her and convinced her that he was the promised Messiah. And then he said some of the most amazing words in all of your Bible when he looked that woman in the eye and said, Woman, if you only knew. <laughs> if you only knew who you're talking to. And then we get to John chapter 5. Jesus is on his way to church on Sunday morning. He goes by the pool of Bethesda and there lies a paralyzed man that's been there for 38 years. And Jesus has mercy on him and said, Would thou like to rise up and walk? And the man said, Sir, I, I, I can't. I don't have a man to get me in the pool. Jesus said, I didn't ask you if you had a man to get you in the pool. I asked you if you wanted to be healed. And he said, Yes. And Jesus said, Then rise up and walk. And the man got up, took up his bed and walked. 
and immediately was healed. Then we get to John chapter 6. In John chapter 6, Jesus is sitting before a multitude of people, 5,000 people. They're hungry. And Jesus said to his disciples, we need to feed this crowd. They said, well, Lord, what are we going to do? There's no McDonald's around here. He said, well, what can you find? And all they could scrap up was two little fishes and five little loaves. And you know the story. Jesus took those two fish and five loaves and multiplied it, fed all that 5,000 people, and then took up an offering, and there was 12 baskets full left over. And to top it off, in that same chapter, he went out that evening and walked on the water. And now here in John chapter 9, we have him focused on an old blind beggar like a bird dog on point. And somebody said, Master, who did sin? This man or his parents that he was born blind? On an ordinary day, that wouldn't seem like much, but this was an extraordinary day. Can I tell you that I believe that just because this man was blind did not mean that in this particular moment, in this divine encounter of this man and our Lord Jesus, in that moment, this man could see for the first time in his life. For the first time in this blind man's life, out of the deep throes of depression and lostness, a ray of hope had sprung forth. Remember, he has sensitive ears. He could hear things other people could not hear. And through those ears had flowed a message of hope. He had heard people talking about a person, a man who could do God-sized things. He had heard about miracles that others had experienced with this man. And now in this particular moment, he didn't hear theological arguments. He didn't hear artificial antidotes. All he heard was that word, master. He got excited. His heart's about to beat out of his chest. He's wondering, could this really be him? Could this really be my moment? Is there an opportunity to hear that for all those things he did for others, he might do something for me? Could he make me see? And then it happened. He got a divine answer. All of this poor man's life, all he had ever heard was that he was blind because of his sin. And for the first time, he hears the real reason for his blindness. Jesus said, look at it in your Bible. Look at verse 3. Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. Did you see that? Wow, wow, did you, did you hear what Jesus just said? Look at it. Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. Now think about what's happening here. He was blind from birth so that the works of God should be made manifest in him. Think about that. This is Jesus Christ. This is God incarnate. This is God on earth. God in the flesh. He is man, but he is God. He is God, but he is man. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And you say, well, how does that apply to this particular incident in the Word of God? Well, it tells me that from the beginning of time, this man has been on the mind of Christ. 
From the anvil of creation, there's been a planned encounter with this man. This is no accident. This is not a per-chance meeting. This is a divinely conceived plan and expected moment when Jesus said, this man was made this way so that I could prove to you I am who I say I am. You say, surely not. Surely not. Surely God, God would not allow one to suffer like that. Blind all of his life so Jesus could prove a point. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? We all suffer. We may not suffer blindness, but we suffer. Man suffers so that God can have an opportunity to work in your life. Man suffers so that God can show his compassion. Man suffers so that God can prove his power. Man, man suffers so that God can demonstrate that he does care and that he looks after us. Man suffers so that God can lead unbelievers to become believers. That's why when you're sick, you call out, God be my healer. That's why when you're broke, you call out, God be my provider. That's why when you're burdened, you call out, God be my deliverer. That's why when you're lost, you call out, God be my Savior. For somebody in this room tonight, he's a rock. For somebody else, he's your shield. For someone else, he's an anchor. For somebody else, he's your light. For somebody, he's a friend. For someone else, he's joy. For someone else, he's peace. For somebody else, he's the chain breaker. For somebody else, he's your only hope. For somebody else, he's your strength. For somebody else, he's your high tower. He's your Ebenezer. He's the crevice in the rock. He's all of our Savior. He's the Lord of Lords. He's the King of Kings. He's the rock of ages. And don't ever forget, don't ever forget that Jesus never shines brighter than when we let him show forth the works of God in our lives. And usually... That comes in the midst of our suffering. God proves he's his greatest when we're at our worst. God proves he's the most mighty when we're at our lowest. He always proves to us that in the midst of our suffering, he's God. A divine answer. Secondly, not only did he get a divine answer, he receives a divine action. Look at verse 6. When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. Now, I don't think I told you the title of my sermon. The title of my sermon tonight is When Jesus Spits in Your Dirt. <laughs> and it comes right here out of this verse. When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. Now notice, in our tradition, we react to this as gross or repulsive because spit or spitting is considered dirty or unclean. But if you'll go back and study the day of Jesus, to the Jews in that time and in their tradition, spittle was a completely different object. For the Jews, spit was considered a healing agent, particularly in reference to blindness. But there was also a strong Jewish tradition in that day that the saliva of a first legitimate 
firstborn heir would have special healing properties against injury and disease. And what was Jesus? Firstborn heir. Jesus, now, what you've got to understand is at war in this scene. He's at war with the Sadducees and the Pharisees. They had created all kinds of rules and laws to help them interpret God's law to fit their purposes. And one of the laws that they had come up with is, was that on the Sabbath, you couldn't spit in the dirt because if you did, that created spittle, and that was considered work. Well, watch this. That was one of the Pharisees' laws. And Jesus has already said that he had come to do the work of who? He who sent him. So he, he didn't care about their laws. All he wanted to do is do what God wanted him to do. So he spit in the dirt. I can see every one of them just draw back and take a big breath and say, Did you see that? Did he dare do that? And then you, I, I, somehow I think you could look at Jesus and he just kind of looked around at him and kind of smirked a grin, thinking, I'll show you boys. I, I want us to think about this dirt for a moment. There, there are some who would hear me preach this message and they'd say, Brother Sid, I, I, just, I just don't believe Jesus could spit in the dirt and use it to make a blind man see. Now, wait a minute. Hold on. Hold on just a minute. Remember, I've already in my message declared that God's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Would you all agree with that? Then, then if, if, if that's true and Jesus is the Son of God and he's always been with God, then way back yonder somewhere when God decided to create the world... He decided to create man. What did he do? He reached down in the dirt and he made a man. Now, I'm not a real smart man, but I kind of figure if God could reach in the dirt and make a whole man, Jesus could spit in the dirt and make a blind man see. I, I think he's perfectly capable of that. So let's talk about the dirt for a minute. It's an acrostic, D-I-R-T. D is for devastation. You see, man is never more devastated than that moment in his or her life when they realize they're lost, they're hell-bound, and there's absolutely nothing they can do to save themselves. That's the most devastating moment you'll ever have in your life. This morning, those that got saved had a devastating moment. They recognized, I can stay lost and possibly go to hell, or I can get saved and be delivered. It's devastating to recognize you're lost, and there's nothing you can do about it. That's D. I is for interest. That very moment in your life when you become devastated about your sin and your lostness, the Holy Spirit is I interested in having a conversation with you. He's there and ready to call you, to lead you, and to help you to understand Jesus is willing and ready to save you. Then comes R. R is for relevance. That's a buzzword in church life today. May I tell you there's never a more relevant moment in your entire life than when you get devastated about your sin, recognize you can't save yourself, there's nothing you can do. You're interested, the Holy Spirit's interested in having a conversation with you and telling you your only hope is in Jesus. And then the relevant moment comes when you have that special opportunity to pray and ask Jesus to come into your heart. And if you do that, then we get tea. That's transformation. The old becomes new. 
the lost is now saved. That's what happens when you trust in Christ. And folks, that's really a picture of all of us. Isaiah told us we're all just like dirt. The Bible says in Isaiah 64 and verse 6, we're all as filthy rags. There's nothing good about us. And there's nothing we can do about it ourselves. It requires a divine action. So Jesus spit into the dirt. So can I tell you tonight, in all kindred, it doesn't matter if it's spit, a song like they sang tonight, a scripture that we read, a sermon that I preach, a sign that God gives. It doesn't matter if it's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, or Sunday. It doesn't matter if it's January, February, or some other month in the middle of the morning at midnight dark. It doesn't matter when it is. doesn't matter where it is. doesn't matter how it is. Can I tell you tonight, when Jesus gets in your dirt, life comes forth. Jesus spits in your dirt. Life comes forth. 2011, tornadoes swept across the state of Alabama. They destroyed the whole north end of our county over in Calhoun County. <clears throat> we had many families who didn't have insurance, had no hope of getting a home. They lost everything. I spent a year and three months of my life, the longest year and three year, months of my life, trying to raise money get volunteers and build houses for people that had no hope of having a home. And I watched God work miracle after miracle after miracle. Shortly after the storm happened, I had a big church up in Tennessee call me. They said, Dr. Nichols, we understand that you need help in your area. I said, yes, we do. They said, we want to send a team down to build a house. Can you help us? I said, I sure can. And we got a date. They said the only requirement we have is that before we start work, we'd like to see the area. So the day came that they were to arrive, and they arrived. It was two big buses loads. I'm talking about big charter buses of folks. And so I got on the bus with them, and we went out to Mamre Hill. Some of you may know, if you're going up 431 from Anniston up to Gaston, there's a place out there called Mamre. There's a Mamre Baptist Church. The old church used to be up on the hill. It was the highest point in that entire area, the old church. They went down two blocks down on, the, on 431 and built a new church. The storm came across there that night. It took the old church. Nine people had taken rest, uh, refuge in the basement of that church. It caved in, killed one of them, injured all the rest of them. But it totally, there was not a brick left on a brick on that church. So I had the bus driver pull those buses up there and we got out and I, we, you could stand in every direction you looked. It was total devastation. It looked like a bomb had fallen. And I was telling the story and people were crying. Some of them wanted to pray. So we started to pray and all of a sudden I heard something. Right out there was a Robert Trent Jones golf course. They told me they lost over 60,000 trees on that golf course. It was just sticks and rubble. But as we pray, I heard something go, chew, 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 chew. And I looked up, and out there on that golf course, in all that destruction, a sprinkler had come on. And went down the line to the next one. And all the way down that line, all the way down that fairway, and over to the next one that came down and back up. And in the midst of me watching that, you know what God said to me? 
He said, look at there, son. Even in the midst of death, life springs forth. Oh, friend, that's the way it is in our lives. Even in the midst of our sin death, life springs forth when Jesus gets in our dirt. Thirdly, he got a divine answer. He had a divine action, but then came a divine announcement. Jesus told him after he had anointed his eyes to go and wash, verse 7. He did, and the Bible says he came back seeing. Now, everybody there was amazed. All the neighbors, it says, everybody were amazed. And some of them doubted. The question changed from, is this that blind guy to what just happened here? Can anybody tell me what just happened? He was blind that man put mud on his eyes, and now he can see. Somebody tell me. Could this be the same guy? Is this some kind of cruel choke? Somebody yelled, hey, hey, buddy, if that really is you, how did you receive your sight? That's when the divine announcement came. <laughs> Verse 11, he answered and said, a man that is called Jesus made clay, anointed my eyes and said unto me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And I went and washed and I received my sight. And now it's your turn. When, when Jesus spits in your dirt and, and people want to know, what is it that's different about you? What is it that helps you get through life. What is it, this, what's this religious thing about your life? You just tell them that a man named Jesus passed by and all I can say is I was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Now, if you're here tonight and you're devastated, and you know you're lost and there's nothing you can do to be saved, I want to talk to you about that. The Holy Spirit's talking to you already. He's already knocking on your heart's door. The relevance of this message is you can be saved tonight. And if you get saved, you'll be transformed. But I also want to talk to the believer for a minute tonight. The Bible says that Jesus spit in the dirt and made clay. Now, that was a, an application. Now, I, I don't know about you, but I thoroughly believe with all of my heart that had Jesus chosen to, he could have just spoken and that man could have seen. But he went to the trouble of making clay and putting it on the man's eyes. Now, why did he do that? Well, I told you that he was at war with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And I just believe that he liked to confound those old boys a little bit. I believe he just was kind of turning the fork. I think he was turning the heat up on them. He used clay. Now, I want us to think about clay and see how if you use your clay, it will confound your world. C is for celebrate your conversion. You know, we ought to get excited about being saved. I preach in a lot of churches and it's more like a funeral than it is a worship service. 
People sat there, bless me if you can, preacher. Their poots lit, their jaws are swelled up, some of them bump in the pew or the floor. They're mad looking, mean looking. You couldn't get them excited with nothing. And they call themselves children of God. And here's the biggie. They wonder why their church won't grow. We ought to celebrate. Celebrate our conversion. Let the world know we're saved. Southern Baptist Convention last year, 44,000 churches, one-fourth of our churches, 11,000 churches did not baptize one single soul. The second fourth of those churches going to 22,000 churches, half of all the Southern Baptist churches in the land baptized three or less. Now we say, okay, there's some, some of those are small churches. They just got a handful of people. Yeah, I, I, I'll give you that. But many of those 22,000 churches have big budgets and multiple staffs. And if they don't have big budgets and multiple staffs, they usually have at least a pastor and a deacon or two and a few Sunday school teachers. Somebody somewhere ought to be winning somebody to Jesus. But they can come Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night week in and week out and never stir those baptismal waters and it doesn't bother them at all. I can't tell you how many churches I've been in the last year that's built monuments in their baptistry because they don't ever use it. We ought to celebrate our conversion. We ought to walk out of these doors tonight with the intention that before we come back in here next week, we're going to tell somebody, I'm saved. C, celebrate your conversion. L, live like Jesus. I'm convinced out in the world that most people can't tell the difference in the ordinary church member and the world. They just can't. We cover our light up. We're just, we're just... One little boy said, Daddy, what's a Christian? Well, now, son, that's, that's somebody that lives a good life. They don't lie. They don't cheat. They go to church. They love people. They care for people. They minister to people. They do good. Little boy said, Daddy, have I ever seen one of those? That's far more true than you think it is. We ought to live like Jesus. Thirdly, A, advance the kingdom. We ought to tell somebody they need Jesus. We ought to at least invite them to our church. You're fortunate. Hey, can I just tell y'all, you don't know how fortunate. I'm in a lot of churches. I'm in a lot of places. Y'all don't know how blessed. And he's not here, and I'm not saying this to pump him up, but you don't know how fortunate you are to have a preacher like you have. Amen. To have a man that cares for souls, who wants you to be your best, who's constantly trying to feed you from this pulpit to make you your best, to encourage you and help you and to work and to win souls. Because we got a lot of churches that have pastors. They don't care. They just don't care. It's just a job. 
and it's sad. And then lastly, yearn for heaven. Why? C-L-A-Y. Celebrate your conversion, live like Jesus, advance the kingdom, and yearn for heaven. Well, now I'm ready to go, and I'm willing to go when God wants me, but I'm perfectly content and hang around here and try to win a few more. I, I was so thankful five got saved this morning. They're going to heaven. I hope somebody gets saved tonight. If I preach next Sunday, I hope somebody else gets saved. I hope maybe this week I can win somebody else to Christ. You see, it's an ongoing project. I wrote this down. I'm going to read it and I'm going to close. Get this. The goal here is to make someone who's just having an ordinary day have an extraordinary day because an extraordinary man passed that way when you came by. Now, what am I saying? Wouldn't it be wonderful if there was enough Jesus in you that when you walked by somebody who had a real burden and a real need, you'd be able to share your Christ with them so that they could have not an ordinary day, but an extraordinary day. That's what it's all about. Heads bowed and eyes closed. All over the room tonight, nobody looking around. Once again, I believe, every time I preach, I believe there are people there who need to be saved. Can I tell you tonight, listen to me, if you're here tonight and you're not saved, you're here tonight because you're supposed to get saved. The Holy Spirit worked it out where you'd be in this pew to hear this message at this time because you need to be saved. So I want to ask you tonight, are you saved? If you're saved and you know you're saved and you can celebrate your conversion, I want everybody that can tonight raise your hand. Hold it up high, unashamedly. Thank you all over the room. I, I praise God for that. Just take, take it right back down. But if you're in this room tonight and you can't say, Brother Sid, I know I'm saved. I, in fact, I know I'm not saved and I want to be saved and I need to be saved and I want to get it right tonight. Would you just pray for me? I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to come to you, but I do want to pray for you. In this room tonight, I need to be saved. Brother Sid, would you pray for me that I can get saved tonight? All over the room, in the balcony, down here on the floor. If you need to be saved tonight and you want to get saved, hold your hand up so I can pray for you. I just want to pray for you. Hold it up high so I can see it. Anybody, all over the room. I can't see too good, so I'm looking. Hold it up high so I can see. Thank you. Anybody else? All right, thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. I see your hand. Thank you. You? Thank you. All right, anybody else? I think I saw four hands go up. Anybody else? It may be you need to be saved. You didn't raise your hand. If you raised your hand or you didn't raise your hand, you need to be saved. Here's how you get saved. You ask Jesus to save you. You pray a prayer. Now, here's what I want you to do tonight. I'm going to say that prayer right where you are as best you can. I want you to pray it with me silently. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I know you died for me. And Lord, I don't want to die lost. I want to be saved. I want to serve you, Lord. I want to go to heaven. So I tell you now, I'm sorry for my sins. I repent of them. And ask you, Lord Jesus, to come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins and save my soul. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. 
And Jesus, I want to give you my life from this day forward. Now with our heads bowed and our eyes closed all over the room, if you honestly, as best you know how, you just prayed that prayer, and you asked Jesus to come into your heart, I want you to just raise your hand and look at me tonight. If you honestly did it, hold your hand up high and look at me. Anybody, anywhere, let me look. Anybody, anywhere. All right. Did you boys pray that prayer? Thank you. Thank you. Somebody else? Somebody else? Can't see too well in the back. Hold it up high. All right. So if you raised your hand, then when we stand to sing our invitation, I want to ask you, there'll be men here at the front to come down and say to these men, I prayed that prayer tonight, and they want to talk to you about that. But more than that, we want to celebrate. Church, listen to me. We want to celebrate, don't we? The fact that they got saved tonight. So I'm going to pray. We're going to stand and start singing. I'm going to ask you to come. Father, this is your time. Holy Spirit, we committed it to you way long ago that during this time you'd speak to hearts and that people would respond. So now, Lord, we give it to you and trust to see what might happen in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand to your feet. We're going to sing. As we sing, if you need to come, you prayed that prayer. You come tell these men you prayed that prayer tonight. Come on, right now. If you need to come, pray. Whatever it is, you come. The altar's open.